Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is Gareth Bale coming back to the Premier League? We've got all the big talking points covered for you on this week's Gegen Pod as we react to huge Arsenal and Villa deals, count down to Chelsea against Liverpool, and look ahead to Andrea Pirlo's managerial debut this weekend. Welcome to the Gegen Pod. Yeah, what a wonderful weekend to begin the Premier League season. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. David Wiener with you for this episode of the Gaga Pod once again. And I'm joined by Michael Bridges and John Aloisi. We've got a lot to talk about from the weekend, a lot to look forward to, and a lot of news to dissect as well. So let's get straight into it. Bridgie, welcome. Good to see you again. What a weekend. Have you recovered? I'm still absolutely exhausted, Dave, and I'm exhausted because that Liverpool Leeds United game has got to be one of the most amazing spectacles of football I think I have ever seen. The energy levels, the movement, the runs that we witnessed, the goals, uh, it was just a, a brilliant game for the neutrals, um, but very pleasing for Leeds United fans, I would think, going up against the champions and Liverpool yet again found a way. So I, I loved it, Dave, and there was goals galore in the Premier League as well. Yeah, it was terrific. We'll talk about both those teams in more detail, of course, a bit later in the program. John, for you, um, lots, lots to enjoy. It was, it's not an understatement to, overstatement to say it was, it was a fantastic opening weekend. It was. It was, uh, you know, we all mentioned the Liverpool-Leeds game because that was probably the, the, the best spectacle. Um, but then there was also Everton, the, the, uh, you're beating Tottenham, Spurs again, you know, uh, under Mourinho, the, are there excuses being made again by Mourinho? But uh, we'll talk a bit more in depth about that. Uh, Thanks, John. You just felt my morning already. <laughs> it's you know what, Bridgie. We got all excited about Spurs because we watched the All or Nothing on Amazon, and we're getting excited about Mourinho. But um, they they had they were not great in the second half. I actually thought they were okay in the first half though, Bridgie, but uh, he changed it at half time and I thought that he made a big mistake. I think the word you're looking for, John, is lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll discuss that later. Well, you know what? Since we're on it, let's kick off with that because I've got a bit of news that I want to talk about regarding Tottenham. But before we get into that, I do want to ask you both about that lazy um, excuse. And, and with our midweek pods here, we're going to talk about all the biggest talking points in, in the Premier League and the football world. And, um, Mourinho calling his players lazy. John, I want to know, first I'm going to come to you from a coach's perspective and then Bridge, I'm going to come to you from a fan's perspective. If your players are lazy and they're not pressing well, at what point is it that they're not following your instructions because they're not capable of it or because your message isn't going through? Look, I have to say that um, they're not a lazy team. They're not lazy players because under Pochettino, they used to press for fun and they could run for fun. So um, you have to say that, that look, Mourinho's saying something. He, he wants to get something out of them. Maybe he's trying to push their buttons. Um, I think the biggest uh, error that he made on the weekend was taking Deli Alley off. I, I actually think that uh, putting Sissoko on out wide it didn't, you know, didn't help the, the situation. Um, but I thought in the first half, I thought Spurs were quite good. I thought the match was very even. 
Um, I thought Spurs created two great chances uh, when uh, Deli Ali uh, had that, that opportunity. And then um, I think it was, who was it, Bridgie, that uh, had the next opportunity? Doherty. The one-on-one yeah, with, with Harry Kane. Um, and, and I thought that, uh, you know, the game was there to be won. Um, it was, you know, it could have gone either way. Then he made that change at half time, and then from there they struggled. The whole dynamics. Yeah, and 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 I can understand what he was trying to say that on either side of Alan there was space, and there was an opportunity for either Lucas to pick up the ball, Lucas Mora, or Deli Ali to pick up the ball on on either side of him. But I thought they were still finding that space in the first half. In the second half, they didn't find that at all. But you all or nothing has been really interesting because it was the it was the Jose Mourinho revisionism project, you know, the PR machine. And you look at that and see the charm, you see that the manner he interacts with the players, and then you see the disconnect from that to what we saw on the weekend. How do you interpret that? It's very tough to interpret and digest because I've gone from being a Mourinho hater when he got the job, thinking I don't want this seeing the style of player Tottenham Hotspur, as John just alluded to. Pochettino beforehand, giving them the, the style of play and the dynamics that they understood. And it was exciting. It was entertaining. And we went back to park the bus. And then you see him on the documentary and you go, oh, I've got the love affair back with this guy. This is how he gets the best out of his players. And after round one in the Premier League, I'm kind of like, my God, how, how can we get rid of this guy? <laughs> when, when's he going? Because we get, the, we get the lethargic style of play like me and John have talked about there. And then you get the excuses yet again. And I can just imagine that dressing room blown up when they've been called lazy. There's a few players I do know have reacted um, not so well to these comments from um, a couple of people that yeah. have been there at Spurs that I text yeah. after the game. So now crap was that. So it hasn't gone down too well, the comments coming out on the Monday morning. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how how they have reacted behind the scenes. But we won't be seeing it on the documentary. Um, but we might be seeing it over the next couple of months to see where they're going to go and if there's going to be changes because it's it's not good. Do you think that's going straight away though? That is in the, the dressing rooms already starting to question these games? Uh, look, they've got a positive now. They've got a Europa League qualifier coming up this week, uh, which is a one-off game. So they need to win that. They've got a, a, a terrible uh, run of games coming up because they could play actually uh, four in one week. In seven nine in days. twenty-two games. Nine in yeah. twenty-two days. Yeah. So I think what, what he's trying to do is is buy himself a little bit of time by saying, look, Harry Kane's hardly trained. Uh, a few others have hardly trained. It's not been a great preseason. Like I said, I thought the, the first half they were good. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, you know they're, they're not going to be a good side. I still think there's something there. Um, I think once they find the right balance in terms of the, you know him finding the midfield uh, connection, because I think that the two defensive midfielders on the weekend were very similar. I don't think that uh, I'd, I'd rather see Sissoko in there from the start, and uh, and I think that he'll make a big difference for him. And they've got the quality up top, you know, with with Kane, Son. Um, Lucas Mora, uh, Deli Ali, they, they've got quality. Johnny, the, the bit that worries me, I saw Richarlison getting several times in that game and he exposed Aldevira and Dyer for the pace at the back. Again, I just think that's a, that's an area and avenue. Doherty's got it. I think Davies has got it in, 
to a degree with that pace, but I don't see a lot of pace in that back line for, for Tottenham Hotspur, and they got exposed. Um, Rodriguez was coming in on his left foot and looking for them lovely cross-field balls and the little diags, showing them inside to the numbers, but they still found a way to get massively exposed. Now, And that really worries me going forward, because we've got pace at the other end of the field, but nothing at the back. So it's going to be an interesting season yet again as a Spurs fan, watching Mourinho and his men. Okay, so is the solution then to all those things you've spoken about a certain Gareth Bale? No. Um, if you want to play centre-half, then yes, brilliant. Get him in if you can play centre-half and just be the overlapping. I think if we had Wilder as our manager, put Gareth Bale on the left side centre-back position and let him do the overlapping runs. Brilliant. Hey, presto, there we go. But um, he's not the answer, but it is great. It would be a great fairy tale to have him back. And, you know, the fans would love that because he is one of the you know, the, the childhood heroes when he came in from Southampton and he's, he's a saviour there. He's scoring a hat-trick against Inter Milan, but is he, the, is he the answer? No, he's not. I wouldn't say that Bale's lazy, but watching him in, in Spain over the last few seasons at Real Madrid, he does seem to walk around quite a bit. So <laughs> what's Mourinho going to say about him? John, so would you, because his whole pre-season and all he does during the season is walk on the golf course. So he knows <laughs> and, and take out his paper binoculars that he sits in the stand going like, going like that. Yeah. Now, no, look, he's a quality player. If they can get him, I'm sure that it will be a boost to the squad and, uh, and everyone will get uh, excited in that squad to have someone like Bale back. So his manager, Jonathan Barnett, went on the BBC overnight as we record on Wednesday morning and said, Gareth still loves Spurs. It's where he wants to be. And the reports are that Real Madrid are prepared to subsidise almost half of his £500,000 a week wages. Um, is, wow. Yeah. He's he not having all that around in his pocket. <laughs> expensive golf clubs. Um, he must... You want to see a talent like that in action. We don't want to see as neutrals and fans see a talent like that rot away on the bench in Madrid. But Manchester United have been linked with him as well if the Jadon Sancho pursuit um, breaks down. How do you see it playing out, Bridgie? And as a Spurs fan, talking fantasy football, uh, would you still... Is it taking the sensible option that he's probably not what you need right now or would you want him back? Like I said, it's, there's other areas where I'd like to see them strengthen up. Um, but if you're getting somebody that's getting the wages covered, he's coming back. You're not paying a fee for him. Brilliant. And he's, you know, I think he will add a lot to the to the the dressing room and the culture that he he's been there before and and um, understands. Man United are involved. Does he? Would he get a regular game for Man United? There's, you know, again, I think he can come in and, and play at Spurs, um, and it gives it'll give Son and Ulysses a life um, somewhere else. If that left hand side is where Bale comes in, at. so Man United, um, I don't think he would choose that option. I think if there's going to be anywhere, it will be Spurs. Fingers crossed. Other big transfer news this morning: Johnny Pierre Emerick Aubameyang has signed that three-year deal with Arsenal. Finally, for Gunners fans, what a relief! Um, wages there, speculation between 250000 and £350,000 a week. Well, good luck to you if you can get that. But that's a signing that can you can build a club around over the next few years. How big a piece of news is this for Arsenal? You can never say that someone is worth that money, but in Aubameyang, in the goals that he scores, he's definitely worth uh, every cent of what Arsenal are willing to pay him. Because, it, look, without him, I think Arsenal will be a mid-table side. With him, they can push for European positions, even maybe Champions League, because uh, he just makes a big difference for him. He, he's such a, a good player and a goal scorer. And um, good signs for Arsenal, because that also gives them a, a massive boost uh, that knowing their captain, their best player, is going to be there for another three years. And, um, and I think that Arteta's got them on the right track, especially after the first game and the result that they had. 
It's a stark contrast, Bridgie, wasn't it, uh, what's happening between the both North London teams? Arteta's Arsenal look like they've got a real purpose. And you can't read too much into the Fulham win in the sense that Fulham were pretty tepid. But what did you make of Arsenal? But more, more broadly, what do you make of Arteta's Arsenal? Sorry, Dave, you're breaking up there. Couldn't hear you. Don't want to get involved in this conversation. Can you, um, can you go to John, please? <laughs> I've got a very fancy new microphone this week. You've never heard me more pristine. I'm, I'm like, right. my, my words are ringing in your ears. All right. Are you ready for this? This is going to hurt. But I've thought, I honestly thought Arsenal were absolutely magnificent. There was a goal that they scored against Fulham when it was a Bamiyang. There was a, a, a William played a diagonal pass out to a Bamiyang. Mm. He cut inside and he put it in the top corner. The movement, the dynamics of the team from playing out at the back were exactly the same as the goal they scored in the Charity Shield against Liverpool. Mm. Um, and it was just, you can just see, he's given them a pattern of play, the players have bought into it. And when you're getting results like that, it's so easy to sell the product to your players because they're seeing something from it. And the difference I felt under, under Arteta and um, from when they were under Unai Emery, was Aubameyang and William were actually getting back to help out. And, uh, Maitland-Niles was dropping back. Uh, Tierney was going inside alongside Gabriel. Holden was going in to get the three. Bellerin dropped back in a five. But you had William and Aubameyang dropping, dropping in as well to make like a 5-4-1. And they were counter-attacking from that as well as playing out. So they've got moments in the game that you see. And I just think that's massive credit to Arteta. The players are buying into what the product of football he wants them to play. And the fans are loving it because I'm going to say this, they're playing absolutely outstanding football. Yuck. I'm going to go and have a cup of coffee. I think that's uh, the, what you just mentioned there, Bridgie. And that's been the biggest change, Dave, uh, from when Arteta's taken over. It took him a little bit of time to understand that they, they uh, were struggling at the back with the personnel he had. He thought that he had to go into a back five um, defensively, a 5-4-1. And um, everyone says, yeah, but Fulham weren't great. Fulham aren't a great side. They weren't going to create that many chances anyway. Um, but we also have to remember against Liverpool the week before, they defended really well as mm -hmm. well. So I think that his system and his structure defensively is working at the moment. Um, and then going forward, they change it into a 4-3-3. And, uh, and you saw Bellerin and William on the right side really combine well. Mm. With uh, William was wide on the right. Bellerin uh, sort of went into that uh, attacking midfielder role on that right side. And the other side was the same uh, with uh, Leighton Miles. Um, I, I thought uh, it, was, it was worked well. Their, their rotations are working well, Bridgie, and they're creating chances as well. Yeah. You know, the other scary thing is, I've, um, I was reading a report over the weekend and having a chat with a few of the lads back in the UK, there's talk that they're desperately trying to get rid of um, Guendouzi to get some cash in, and they're looking at the boy Thomas from Atletico Madrid. And again, that's another position coming in there, a guy that can, you know, wins the ball, gives it to the players that can do the job, but also joins in the attack. So if they can pull that off before the transfer window, I'll tell you what, watch this space. He, he's a beast. He's a beast. Uh, he's, uh, he's almost going back to that Patrick Vieira type when they didn't... Yeah. He's going to win that ball. He's going to smash people up and you've got a bit of a bully boy, but he can play football as well in there. Um, he ticks all the boxes. So um, hopefully they don't get him, but I'll tell you if they do, <laughs> good on them. Even Granite Jack is playing. playing. I'll tell you what, we joked last week about William Bridgie saying we hated that transfer and I think uh, it now proves why. Two goals, two assists. for the right reasons though, Dave. Yeah. yeah. I was, yeah. I was having, jealousy, having, anger. Tongue-in-cheek <laughs> and jealousy, but 
he proved his worth. Yeah. He Two was assists, had a third. Now the equal most assists with uh, Coutinho and Firmino for Brazilians in Premier League history. So quite outstanding. Hey, another bit of transfer news overnight. This is a real coup for Aston Villa. Um, jagging five more years for their captain, Jack Grealish, John. Um, what a statement of intent. What a show of loyalty um, from a, a, a young Villa fan to come through and commit himself for another five years at a time where so many other clubs were linked to him. Whether those moves were ever going to materialise, we don't know. But it's a great coup for Villa. Oh, it is. And, and, you know, fair play to Grealish as well because he's shown loyalty. He's Villa through and through. Um, he showed that last year when they were struggling. He's the one that stepped up and, and kept them alive. And, uh, you know, I, I like that loyalty. It, it, it doesn't really happen that much anymore in football, especially when you're talking about a team that's down the lower end and, and one of their star players. Normally, if a team like Manchester United or a club like that comes along, you're, you're going to go there. And um, it didn't eventuate. It doesn't mean that it's not going to eventuate in the future. But uh, if Villa do sell him in the future, they will get uh, their money's worth, I think. I think. Yeah, exactly. I cannot exactly. believe you two have both used the word loyalty. There is no loyalty in this world of football anymore. <laughs> you know that. What, what's smart here? He's signed a contract on more money. He's got himself some security. The club have got the security knowing that they've got their man. So if anybody comes in out, cost them double the amount of money to cover his contract. It's a win-win for both parties. Loyalty, what a load of crap. <laughs> I, I, I buy that. I buy that. If, if he's staying and if he leaves, his club gets a good, good, good sum of money for him. Yeah, but that is a little bit of loyalty, Bridgie, because we've seen in the past that players will wait to their contract virtually goes right to the end. So they can either leave on a free or leave cheap in the in a January window. And so the club misses out and it's not a great look from the players' side of things as well. So I, I think what Jack... Say. What Jack Grealish has done, and I'm not going to name names, Bridgie, who I'm, uh, you're thinking of, because I, I think I know who you're thinking of. I'm not going down that road. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let Dave mention that one if he wants to. But um, I think that Jack Grealish is doing the right thing, and so are Aston Villa. Yeah, I'll stay out of that. But Dean Smith was very uh, bullish this morning. Um, obviously, they they beat Burton Albion 3-1 in the Capital One Cup or the League Cup or whatever it's called now. Ollie Watkins, their new signing from Brentford, got on the score sheet with Grealish. And they're still linked with a couple of players, Emiliano Martinez from Arsenal, Bertrand Troy from Lyon, and uh, Milos uh, Rashina from, or Rashica from Alberta Bremen. So they are looking to spend a little bit and get themselves in a solid position to try and build on what was a, a bit of an escape last season. Hey, just... Talking about first impressions from the season, guys, just quickly want to get um, just your top-line impressions from the opening weekend. Um, who was your standout performance, John? Um, Team-wise, uh, look, and, and I'm not going to mention uh, Liverpool or Leeds because I'll leave that to Bridgie. I'll say Everton. I think all-round performance, they were very solid. They, uh, they look good going forward. I love the combination with James Rodriguez and Richarlison. I think that's going to be exciting mm. to watch this year. Plus their midfield three look very good. And I'll say individual performance, Salah, because he scored a hat-trick on opening day. So that that was really the standout performance that I was looking at over the weekend. Richie? I'm not going to mention Liverpool or Leeds. There you go. But I'm going to say the standard performance for me watching that was Arsenal. And it was just because of what... That must hurt, Bridgie. Hey? That must hurt. It it does, John. It hurts a hell of a lot, but that's the best thing about you know when you put every you put all the 
what do you, your alliance and allegiance on yeah, oneself yeah. and you talk the honest truth and you've got to say it how it is when we're doing the punditry. I was really impressed with them. I was super, like I say, I would just think the Arsenal fans will be absolutely delighted seeing that performance and like you say, the one before that against Liverpool, it's going to be a very good season for them. An individual performance, I was just happy to see um, James do well for Everton. There was talk, I loved the comment Ancelotti said when somebody mentioned is he quick enough for the Premier League? And he said, if I'd gone for pace, I would have signed Usain Bolt like the Central Coast <laughs> Mariners did. Well, there you go. We don't want the fastest player in the world in our league in the Premier League. We want quality that have touches, yeah, that play passes, and that's what they have got. They've got a, a genuine, classy player that I'm going to enjoy watching for the rest of the season. Good to see Mr. Ancelotti taking lessons from the A-League's transfer system, transfer window. A few lessons to be learned from that if you, if you want to look into it. John, just on Everton, you, you were really excited about them last week. Um, what is it that makes you think they're not going to be a flash in the pan, that, that this is going to be sustainable um, beyond uh, the opening weeks? I think because of the quality they have, and plus they've got a, a, an exceptional manager. Um, but I, I look at their midfield, Alain, Decore, Gomez. They are top quality. Um, uh, Decoro for me was uh, exceptional the other day as well. Just you know, not only were, uh, what he does uh, with the ball, which he, he's good on the ball, but his uh, his work rate and to, to recover balls. And if Alan gets caught out of position, he covers him. And then you got Gomez that keeps the ball very well. Um, I, I thought their midfield was really good, uh, and they they are a, a quality side. And then you've got up front, you know, you've got Calvert-Lewin that uh, will score your goals. He works hard. Uh, and then you, uh, Rich Allison will cause any defence problems mm-hmm. with his pace. He scores goals. And James Rodriguez is, uh, you know, one of the best players in the world when he's on form. And I think that he will hit heights with Everton under Ancelotti. John, what got me going and excited about them as well? It's the first time I've actually seen them without looking at their 11 and going four. Yeah, that's that's not a bad 11. They should get something out of this game. But you've got Sigurdsson on the bench. You've got mm. Walcott. You've got mm. Bernat. You've got the young boy Davies. And you've got Keane, uh, Moses Kane as well. Mm. Yeah, It's frightening, the depth that they've got at this moment in time. And again, I think Ancelotti, we touched, touched on it um, during the week in last week's podcast. Ancelotti getting them signings. I don't think many managers could have done. So Everton in a good spot this year. Yeah, I felt the same thing when I saw the lineups come out, Bridget. Exactly. So that'll be the game that we'll see at 9:30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on Saturday night, off the back of Countdown's kickoff with you guys on Optus Sport. So that'll be a, a, another fascinating example of uh, of what Ancelotti is producing over there. Who was the biggest disappointment, John, or the person, the team, or person you're expecting more from? Spurs. I have to say, uh, look, I, I did say that they would. Were- Decent in the first half, but you expect more from them because they're playing at home. Um, you know, in the off season, we're, we're getting excited that you know Mourinho is going to have a bit of time to work with them. He's come out already making excuses that he didn't have enough time. Um, but you know, everyone's in the same boat because uh, you know Liverpool had the same issues. Um, they've all had the same issues. They've had uh, very little time because there was internationals. And, and so what? So, uh, look, I, I, they were my biggest disappointment because I expected more from them. Mm. But you, won't, you don't have, go down a different line. We don't have to rub it in. Anything I, I am. I'm not going to mention them. I'm going to wash my mouth out. I'm sick of talking about them. I, I would say disappointment. Um, probably the fans of West Ham wouldn't say it was a disappointment. It was inevitable. But, you know, they, I thought West Ham at home, first game of the season, Everything that's been going on behind the scenes, they might have come out and put on a, a display and they were, again, they were awful. Yeah. Antonio, Noble, um, Fonels were in there, didn't show anything 
and suggested that they weren't playing for the shirt. I thought they were very, very disappointing. Newcastle went to London. They don't normally get results down there. The new boys, Wilson and Hendrick, got the goal. Um, and then West Ham yesterday in the Carabao Cup or this morning, um, you know, it was nice to see Halle get a couple of goals. They got a result there, but there's him, people like him, Lanzini, Anderson, um, Yamalenko all on the bench in that first Premier League game. I can see the need to start getting some some form of, uh, sorry, some signs of form and some of them players firing because I just think um, West Ham are going to struggle all season. That was a dismal performance. That's the thing, Bridgie. They've got players. Uh, you know, yeah. Haller scoring two goals this morning is going to give him confidence because I actually like him as a striker. I thought he did really well in Germany. I was expecting a lot more from him last season. But, um, you know, this is up to Moyes now to actually start to play these players with a little bit of flair or the players that he knows is going to score him goals. I know Antonio did it at the end of last season, but if he doesn't do it straight away at the beginning of this season, he needs to make changes because they were poor. Declan Rice came out after the game and said, we couldn't have played any worse. Mm. And you're talking about first game of the season at home. Mm. And you don't even have the fans on your back because you've got no supporters in the stadium. So there's no excuses for it. That's the only thing that the board are happy with, John. They're thinking, oh man, if we were in COVID, this could be an absolute cauldron. But... A cold and a death for their own team. Well, they go to Arsenal 5 a.m. Eastern on Sunday morning. What does Moyes have? If you were David Moyes, what would you do now? Because you mentioned Flair, John. But this is a guy who's been pretty stubborn in, in his use of those Flair players for, for many, many, many years. Um, there's not many kids there either. Um, what do you do, Bridgie, if you're David Moyes, to try and turn this around? Because we're one game in, but he does have to turn something around here. You, you turn the bus around and you stay at home. You don't go to the Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's what you do. Um, it's going to be very, very tough. I think when you're analysing the Arsenal performance and Moyes goes there, they're not going to be able to press. They're not going to, they're not going to have the mechanisms. I think it's just going to be get back, try and counter-attack or score from a set play. They're going to get numbers behind the ball. And again, when you've got flair players like me and John have just talked about, you, you, you know, you've got to be able to express yourself and have a go. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that. And it's just going to get worse and worse for them. So I can only see it being another big result, actually, for, for Arsenal again this weekend. I think the advantage they've got, uh, Bridgie, well, they struggle against teams that do sit off. So Newcastle played uh, played well. They defended well. They made it hard for West Ham. West Ham had the majority of the ball, had about 58% possession, but didn't look like scoring. I think they might do better against a team that, that comes out, they sit off and they can counter because they do have pace going forward. So it might not be as simple for Arsenal this weekend as we we think, or you know, it might not be all doom and gloom for for West Ham because they might be better off against the bigger sides than the smaller ones. I just think confidence levels are absolutely shocking all through that club. Mm-hmm. So it's um, yeah, watch watch this space. It's going to be. I, I, I really like the Hammers. I've always been a fan of theirs ever since I was a young age, collecting the Panini sticker albums, and it was—it's just sad to see what's going on at that club, especially since they've, um, you know, since they've got that new stadium. Yeah, they're a club. Uh, if it's not in crisis, there, it, it's not far off. Um, so, well, look, we, it's very easy to jump to conclusions even after one game. Things move so quickly in the Premier League, but um, your gut feel after seeing the opening round. What's the storyline that you're most interested in? In just keeping an eye on, you think it's going to develop or escalate really, really quickly. Um, we'll go to you first, John, and then to Bridgie. Leeds. Uh, the storyline has to be Bielsa 
has to be that the way that Leeds played. Um, that you know they don't care where they're playing or who they're playing against. They're going to play their style of football, and and I love that. I, I just love the way that they go about it. I love the you know the way that they play. Um, you know, it was exciting to see a team do something different in terms of man marking virtually all over the pitch mm. and made it very difficult for Liverpool. And, uh, you know, they, they were unlucky not to get anything out of the game. I still think Liverpool would probably on the day had that little bit of an edge. Um, but Leeds were exciting to watch. Uh, that's the big storyline for me because uh, once the fans do get back in the stadium, Bridgie, they're going to get an extra lift as well. So you can imagine, I, I actually think that they could, they could cause quite a few upsets this season. Yeah, and the, I totally agree. Going in against Fulham this weekend is a, is a huge one for them because it's going to be interesting to see what Fulham's take on it. Because the first half against Arsenal, I felt like they did do well apart from the mistake that Ream made to, to allow the first goal. And then they just fell apart and had a capitulation second half. So that's going to be a good matchup. They've played each other in the Championship and how they're going to handle it. Um, but the headline for me coming up, Dave, has got to be Liverpool against Chelsea. Klopp found a way against the champions in, in, um, in the Championship in a team that I don't think have ever played against Klopp like that because his face after the game told it all when he just went, wow, after mm. congratulating Bielsa. But Liverpool found a way yet again. He said they trained on it man-on-man marking and training all week. The best thing to do with man-markers is run them off the park and lose your defenders. And you saw that from Firmino and Salah on many occasions where they were happy to get the ball in turn. So it's going to be a completely different game this weekend coming up against Lampard. They've had the, the banter as well off the field regarding who's got the most money to spend in the transfer window. What a game oh, the headline will be. I'm sorry, mate, but Liverpool find a way yet again. <laughs> Let's keep talking about that, Ben. Let's keep talking about that. Because I'm going to get you to finish this sentence, um, uh, John, and then we're going to... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're going to spend a bit of time looking ahead to this game, which is the absolute headline. It's 1.30am Eastern, Monday morning, uh, Chelsea hosting Liverpool. But of course, if that's not a good time slot for you, you watch it on demand, watch the mini-match, watch it two, three times, do whatever you need to do to get your fix. But John, uh, if I ask you if I ask you to finish this sentence, I say, the new look Chelsea were, what would you say? A little bit fortunate, because I thought Brighton were actually uh, decent. I-, I thought Brighton had them uh, at... you. Know, was it 1-1? And then also when the Chelsea went ahead 2-1, they still had that opportunity right in oh, front of goals that, yeah. you know, that, that they could have made it 2-2. But that's a sign of a good side is when you can win when you're not playing at your best. And like uh, Frank Lampard said after the game, he, he said, look, we want to take a little bit of time to gel because, uh, you know, you've got new players in that squad um, who I still think that Timo Werner did really well for his first game. I thought he caused problems. Um, Havertz uh, was a bit quieter. I was surprised that Havertz actually started because I thought that he would have gone with the, a couple of these other players that have been regulars uh, last season. Fantasy league team, what a mistake that was. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, I think that they're still going to be good, Chelsea, but it will take them a bit of time. But once they, uh, they hit the straps, they're going to be exciting to watch, that's for sure. 
What did you make of that formation, by the way, the 4-2-3-1 with uh, Kante and Jorginho in there behind the, the, the attacking players? Because there's a lot of attacking riches to fit into that side. Is that the best way to do that? Uh, look, it, it might change over time. Look, yeah. uh, Frank had did change his system quite a bit last season. He ended up going to you know five at the back, and uh, uh, this weekend he started with uh, his four-two-three-one. I, I still like Kante and Jorginho in midfield because they're quality players, and uh, and Kante can also get forward. Doesn't mean that he's going to be a sitting midfielder that just sits there. Uh, Jorginho more so will sit there. Um, but yeah, I, I think with Havertz playing out wide, he can still drift inside in between uh, the lines and create more space for Reese James to go forward. Um, but I like Timo Werner because he can just drift anywhere. And once he gets that space, you can't catch him. Once the players understand how quick he is, oh, yeah. they'll, they'll release him a, a little bit earlier and a little bit uh, in better positions. And, and he, he will score them goals, that's for sure. It's like that song, please release me, you know now what I do. <laughs> I think Loftus-Cheek and Barkley need that player in their ears, ad nauseum for the next week after some of the chances they didn't uh, take with him there. I want to ask you guys both, there were two comments on the um, Match Day Live yesterday from uh, Paul Lintz and Ian Wright, which I just found really intriguing. And I want to ask two former Premier League strikers about it because they were really making the point that Werner's free spirit, where he loves to drift all over the pitch, come get the ball, drift into channels and, and, and all that, it's going to be a balancing act for Lampard because he's going to have so many creative players around him. And they were adamant that he has to stay more centrally as a number nine. I don't know. I just want to pick your brains on that because I found that a bit old school. I wasn't sure if that was the case. Is it, do you agree with that, Bridgie? That is not, that's not his game. If they've, if they've watched Red Bull uh, Leipzig when he played there, he was drifting into pockets on the left side. He would drift into pockets on the right side. And the thing is, the dynamics that Leipzig had, they knew understood the roles and the rotations. So if he was drifting out, somebody would go and take his position and make runs into the space that he vacated. So if you're talking about Harry Kane as a number nine or a Lukaku, they do play as the out-and-out number nines. Tino Werner is not that style of player. I think he's, neither is Rod, uh, Rodrigo, who Leeds United signed. They don't want that guy to be the out-and-out striker. They're looking for the runs and the movements that create space for other people. Um, so as long as Frank Lampard is expressing that to his players, you've got space for... Havertz and all the other boys that you've assigned Zayat and all them to Mason Mount to run into, I think it's brilliant because defenders, if they don't know where you're going to go and you're going to follow them into them little areas of uncertainty, the striker's job is done and Werner's one of them. He's an absolute pest because of his movement and he's got the pace to beat you in behind as well, like John said. So for me, it ticks all the boxes. Um, and, you know, the other two boys um, that we're talking about that, they'll have, you know, Ian Wright was the out and out striker. He had Henri and Bergkamp that were drifting in them spaces. So Werner's that type of player. I like what he's all about. He's the new style striker um, in the three or how he plays up top. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Bridgie. I think that, uh, it, look, it's old school in uh, the way they're talking because you used to play a 4-4-2 uh, and, and the striker you really want, the, especially the main striker like Ian Wright, staying within the width because uh, that, that's where he did all his damage, width of the 18 uh, to score goals. But... Um, Timo Werner, Aubameyang, you know, they're, they're players that uh, they don't mind staying out wide because then once they drift into those areas, they're unmarked and, mm. and then they're hard to pick up. So, you know, and if you are playing with Mason Mount, with Havertz and whatever, so if, if uh, Timo Werner does drift inside, they'll go out wide. Mm. So mm. And Frank would have signed him knowing that. Frank's not signed him as an out-and-out nine because he's not an out-and-out nine. Mm. 
Um, I'm surprised Wright has said that as well, John, because he played with Henri and he's seen Henri. Henri was the master yeah. at drifting into that left-hand side space to get the ball and go go through the, the right side fullback and the right side stopper. He was he was a nightmare to pick up because I remember Peter Reid when we were playing <laughs> playing against um, Arsenal and it was kind of like, we're going to play the offside trap today and we had a back four of, the, you know, Lucas Rodebe was there, um, Michael Dubry and, and the boys are going, are you, are you sure we need to do this? Like, um He's, he's quick, you know, the offside trap against Arsenal. And basically, you know, when him and Perez got on the end of the ball, we're 3-0 down. And he's, Henri's ran through from the space into the, the big space that you left behind. You're on a hiding to nothing. So um, yeah. it was an interesting half-time team talk, that one. Well, what's exciting, Bridgie, is that Liverpool do play that high line. And they didn't play it well the other day against Leeds. So will Timo Werner and the rest of the Chelsea players take advantage yeah. this week. So I actually think that, um, that their timings will be good in terms of their runs. It's whether Liverpool give their midfielders the time and space that they actually gave Leeds midfielders. So here's the question then. Was that a first-week teething problem for Liverpool? Maybe the, the edge was just off? Or did you guys see enough in there to think that that defensive question is going to be something that's going to bob up a bit more regularly this season, possibly starting with a test this weekend? I think it's a first-week teething problem because he hasn't had as much time to work with his back four because they played that way. Uh, even the beginning of last season, I, I called them out a little bit against Man City in the charity shield. They got caught in behind quite a bit, even from the goalkeeper. It was mm-hmm. directly from the goalkeeper, uh, Emerson. So I, I, think that, um, I think that Liverpool do know how to play that line very well. On the weekend, their full-backs were deeper than their centre, two centre-backs. That, that can't happen. That mm. never should happen. But when you don't work on it and you haven't had time to work on it, it can. And uh, so I, I know that Klopp, he's, he's not stupid. He knows what went wrong. He knows how to fix those little issues that they had. And, and I'm sure he'll get it right. One thing I can't wait for this weekend, the battle on the field is, is great. It's a great yardstick early in the season, a great early set of Frank Lampard's credentials. But there's a great rivalry starting to grow between Lampard and Klopp. We saw it in the game where um, Liverpool lifted the trophy last year where they went at each other on the sideline. They've gone at each other on, in the press conferences so far this, before the season uh, where Klopp said that you know, some clubs are run by countries and owned by oligarchs, and that's the truth. <laughs> and then uh, Lampard hit back and said, you can go through the Liverpool players, Van Dijk, Alisson, Fabinho, Keita, Mane, Salah, incredible players that came at a very high price. Liverpool have done it over a period of time. What we've done is come off the back of a ban and probably tried to address the situation ourselves to improve us. It's par for the course. What did you make of that little uh, press conference set to, Bridgie? I preferred seeing this kind of um, digs at each other through the media and through the banter. And again, that comes with management. It's, it's experience as well. It, you get your messages across in the way that you wanted to get. I didn't enjoy seeing the the, um, the sideline bust up. I've got to be honest. I thought mm-hmm. Lampard was quite disrespectful towards um, Klopp and kind of lost his cool. And I think lost a, quite a bit of admiration from the neutrals around the, the country that have admired him so so much. I thought that was disrespectful. So this is better for me. This is a bit of banter where you can wind each other up. And I used to love the Alex Ferguson's against Kevin Keegan, the Alex Ferguson's against probably everybody in the bloody league with him and Wenger. Um, so this is good. Getting the little twists and turns out in in the media. The, you know, us as fans and the media get their excitement as well because there's comments that can be printed and talked about. So watch this space. It's going to be very interesting. And um, but I thought I thought Lampard's comments were very very um, spot on to the point. To be fair, 
It was funny, Bridget, because Klopp killed two birds with one stone. He had a dig at Man City and he had a dig at Chelsea at the same time. Two of his biggest rivals. And uh, so I, I actually thought it was very smart by Klopp. It, it will probably hurt Lampard a little bit more because of his inexperience to deal with this sort of uh, pressure. Uh, I don't think that Guardiola will care too much because Guardiola's been around for a long period. So he, he's had that in the past. But you're right. Lampard came out and said what, he, what everyone's seen is yeah. that uh, don't, don't think Liverpool are just workhorses and, and underdogs and you know, come from poverty. <laughs> they spent the most on the goalkeeper. They spent the most on a central defender. Um, so, look, they've spent their money in the last few seasons as well. Uh, probably giving it to Lampard on points in that little debate there. Although, uh, I think when you break down the net spend and you have a look at the sales Liverpool made, they, it's not as dramatic in terms of uh, how much money they've splurged, but they certainly have not been... Uh, uh, um, underdogs in the market there's no doubt about that it's great to see that rivalry forming and and it's going to be one you think Bridgie you mentioned uh, the famous managerial rivalries uh, if these two teams are up there for the next few years this could be something we talk about a fair bit yeah and bring it on I love it and the more experience Lampard gets in twisting the media I mean now he's a he's a manager he's, he's done it as a player he's he was a very very smart smart yeah. lad even from a young age and we were together it was himself and Rio Ferdinand were with the with West Ham, and we used to get together for the under 18s and 19s. He was a he was a smart lad back then. He'd done a lot of media press conference, and there was none more famous than the red nap defending the journalist that was saying Frank was just Frank the Tank, this little fat kid that was never going to go on to make it. And red nap defended him. We used to nickname him Frank the Tank after um, after the England camps. But I'll tell you what, he went on to be, uh, you know, a, a superstar. And what he's learned, um, his armour is is tough. But as a manager, like you say, there's still a hell of a lot to learn. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he copes with them egos this year. But the, the banter between the managers, I, I just love it because it's part of it's part of the game now. And I think there's a lot of people go into management that are tactical geniuses um, and think that they know everything. And soon as you put them in front of a camera, in front of that media scope, wow, you see you see a completely different. Um, part of, of of some managers and they've, they're on a hiding to nothing unfortunately it is part of the game now I thought it was Frank the Tank because of old school the the, the actual guy in the uh, have you seen that movie the yeah Frank I love it I mean we we call him Frank the Tank before that movie when we the camps because he was always the little chunky kid that stood a little bit of puppy fat on him from the uh, West Ham days yeah. Um, so yeah we Quality. Frank the Tank so funny we, he was always the one that got the the practical jokes played on him as well. I used to love doing the, um, get, get the fork with the England camp. You'd get like the fork, John, and I would scrape the fork down the, down the back of the butter. So you got a bit of margarine and butter on the back and then you'd Tabasco sauce the back of it and put salt on and you just put it on Frank's spot. And he used to hate chili. So when he put it in his mouth, he's like, oh yeah, Alex, <laughs> <us> again. <laughs> so we had some good uh, Brilliant. Because you always knew Frank the Tank was going to eat food. <laughs> <laughs> Quality. The Gig and Pod will be back in 20 seconds. Once you're done with this episode, though, take a moment to look up Two Sharp Reds. Socceroos great Mark Schwarzer is joined by Ollie Geel to talk about the lighter side of world football with a real focus on the day-to-day of the Premier League. Two Sharp Reds from Optus Sport, available where you get your podcasts. Now, back to The Gig and Pod. Moving on, um, still talking about this weekend's games. I want to touch a little bit more on Leeds and when they host Fulham at Ellen Road. Ellen Road's first hosting of a Premier League fixture in 16 years, uh, midnight uh, on Saturday night or Sunday morning, however you want to refer to it. How's this game going to suit Leeds? 
Bridgie. Um, it's after the high of the Liverpool encounter. Um, how do you how do you tackle a game that I guess you've you've played over the last couple of years? I think if there's anything to take out of this one, David, Bielsa uh, would have had a scouting report done from last season on them because they've played them numerous times. He would have seen them pre-season and obviously seen the first game against Arsenal. And he would have seen the ways in how Arsenal brought them down. It was fast counter-attacking football, exactly like how Leeds like to play. Arsenal won't, didn't press as much as I think Leeds will. So the, the pluses are all there for Leeds United because I did feel Fulham will look very lethargic. They did have a few counter-attacks um, where they caused trouble down the right-hand side. Um, but I, I think looking at that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be upset or worried going at this game. The only thing they've got to get their head around, they've played Fulham, they're from that team, are the players going in with the right mindset? You know, you've got the highs of playing Liverpool and now you're going back to playing Fulham. How are they going to handle that? If they've got the right attitude, I can't see this being a problem for Leeds because the, the patterns of play will be there to break them down because we saw that with Arsenal. What most fascinates you, John, about Marcelo Bielsa's game plan? There's been a lot of talk about the first glimpse of the man marking in the Premier League and, and his press. Um, what teams suit Leeds more to play against? Is it like an open team like Liverpool who came at them? Or does that matter because Bielsa's got 55 algorithms for every team he plays? What's your read on all that? No, I do think it's a team that does come and press them. Because uh, when they did press uh, the other day, Liverpool, who are probably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the world at pressing. The way that they press Liverpool is, is amazing and, and they actually get a lot of their goals through that, that press or the counter press. So the way that Leeds were able to find that span man either in the midfield and you saw on, on the first goal that um, Calvin, what, Phillips in the midfield, mm, yeah, uh, yeah he, he found the ball um, in between and, and it was funny because you see Keita and, and uh, the other Liverpool midfielders going, but who's supposed to go out onto him now this is where Bielsa's uh, you know when he goes and does his research on teams and it's not only just one game he does 10 games um, he knows how they're going to press how they set up and where they can find that spare man they, they found that spare man then and then other times when he wasn't on the fullback was the outlet so you could see that it was actually trained that wasn't by chance they knew where the the, the outlet was always uh, going to be on. So the the second goal when the, that they scored, they went through the fullback, and then it was quick interchange play. So I think that um, it probably suits them when a team does press, but they'll still find opportunities and space when a team sits off because he will know how to break them down with their movement. Yeah, just hopefully his two new signings acclimatise a little bit quicker, Bridgie. Yes, yes, he've um, <laughs> he found it very very um, dodgy at the back, should we say, um, Cock. I think it was, you know, Liam Cooper, the captain, was out. That was a massive yeah. flaw. I texted him to see how he was how he was doing, and he said, unfortunately, just got a, a bit of an injury. So they had to make adjustments at the last minute in that defensive area. Um, and then up front, the other guy that comes on, <laughs> Rodrigo, you want to make an impact at the other end of the field, and he gives away a penalty. Welcome to the Premier League and the pace of it, my friend, and get the strikers out of the area. O'Leary used to say to me, stay as far away from the penalty area as you can <laughs> Because you are crap at defending goals, scores goals. That would be the advice I'd be saying to Rodrigo. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, now, we, we see both Manchester teams for the first time uh, this weekend. Manchester United hosts Crystal Palace. That's 2.30 a.m. Sunday morning. And we have to wait till uh, Tuesday morning, the Monday night football game in England, 5.15 a.m. City go to Wolves. Um, expectations on Manchester United as they begin their season, John, with a, a game um, against Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace enjoying a rare win. Yeah, they enjoyed a rare win, um, but a good win for them at home. They needed that because the last eight games last season, seven losses, one draw. Roy was already going to be under pressure if he didn't start off well. Um, So it won't be an easy game for United because Palace are very well organised offensively. That's the way Roy likes his teams to play. Um, And then they still got pace to catch you on the counter. We saw Zaha was brilliant the other day, scored a nice goal, but he was also very dangerous on other occasions, had a goal disallowed. Um, so not going to be easy for Man United because they haven't had a game yet um, and there's still the talk of Mason Greenwood um, the issues that they're having yeah. there not only with uh, bringing girls into his hotel room there was also another issue uh, allegedly recently. yeah allegedly so yeah so look um, it's, it's important that Man United start off with a win but not an easy game John, can I just go back to that Crystal Palace game against Southampton? We talk about possession-based football. Crystal Palace won with 28% possession. So, you, can, you know, that it's, it was fantastic. I don't know where they would be without Zaha. I've got to be honest yeah. with you. He was the man that had the mechanisms going. So, I, I feel this, this one is Manchester United's all the way. They're going to absolutely destroy Palace. And, um, yeah, sorry, Eagles fans. I thought you were absolutely... Crap, but you've got the result. <laughs> yeah, Southampton will, be, Southampton will be kicking themselves. They didn't get anything out of that game. But it's a good first test to see how Man United go uh, unlocking a defence that has absolutely no interest in uh, playing themselves. So that'll be a very, very interesting test. Wolves, City, Wolves, they pick up where they left off. Terrific team. Uh, this will be a good, good first examination of uh, where Guardiola City are at, won't it? Well... Man City couldn't ask for a harder first game. Wolves last year beat them twice. Uh, one game they came from behind to beat them uh, 3-2. And then the next game, 2-0. They hate Traore because uh, he always seems to cause them problems. Um, and they, they picked up where they left off. They got a, they had a good win against Sheffield United. They started the game really well. Jimenez got on the score sheet straight away. Um, they're dangerous on the counter-attack, which they will catch out City on the counter. Um, and they're dangerous on set pieces, which City have struggled in uh, the past. So, look, not an easy start for City. I actually um, I fear for them because I think Wolves uh, can actually really, really hurt them. And again, I come back to that team and how Wolves got that result with them. Two early goals, John. We, we talked about the teams that have been affected by COVID and not having any fans there. Sheffield United got affected hugely mm. towards the back end of last season. And again, I think it just showed that atmosphere is not there where people go and fear it. Uh, and Wolves yet again showing how, how... Saying that, Bridgie, do you fear for Sheffield United? Do you think they'll be fighting relegation this season? Mm, that's it. I, I didn't have them down there in the bottom three after watching them week week one. Um, I just don't think while I can let it happen. I think they'll have the spirit that will get them there as well, John. I think they will pick up results, but I still think they are desperate to see it through until we get to this October, November, when we may see fans coming back in the stadium. Because I think it's really affected them at Bramall Lane, I do. Do you think a bit think, of a second-year syndrome, John? Is that what you're trying a, a to... Little, a little bit. A little bit second-year syndrome. A little bit the crowd not being there. Um, so it's not as daunting going to play at uh, Bramall Lane. Um, and, and also, uh, Henderson, 
I, I think he's a big loss for him. Mm. You know, Ramsdale still, for me, I'm, I've got my doubts. I, I actually think that Henderson is a, a big miss. And we know what it's like, Bridget. When you've got a goalkeeper at the back that, you know, you've got confidence in, the actual defenders around them grow in confidence. But if you've got someone that you're unsure of, you seem to make those small little mistakes that you normally wouldn't make. So... I do fear for them it's this season. It's a really season. good shout, John. You know, I, I hadn't even put them down there, but thinking about it, yeah. A good call, mate. Yeah, I didn't like... Before this game, after watching this game on, on the weekend, um, I, I actually started to fear for them. I thought, well, this could be a long, long season mm-hmm. for, for Sheffield United. To all your Leeds United fans out there, you've just got another hero in John Aloisi because he said the blades are going to go down. There you go. Another young, John, he's a big fan of Leeds United as John Aloisi. Uh, there was enough of them in that post-COVID period um, that made me think that if, if they're going to stay where they were this year, they're going to have to bounce back a fair bit because they, 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 they did rouse enough in the end, but um, their momentum is not with them at all. So otherwise this weekend, Southampton hosts Tottenham Sunday night, 9 p.m. Uh, that goes into Newcastle hosting Brighton. A boy to Newcastle, as Bridgie touched on earlier, 11 p.m. And they had with Ryan Fraser scoring in the uh, League Cup this morning as we record too. So uh, momentum continues along there for Steve Bruce. We mentioned Chelsea Liverpool. We talked about that. We just can't wait for that one. Leicester, they host Burnley, 4 a.m. on Monday. And then uh, the Blades, who just mentioned, they begin a, a Tuesday doubleheader um, going to Aston Villa. They're at 3 a.m. before that Wolves City game that we mentioned at 5.15 a.m. Hey, just going around the grounds quickly before we end off because the Serie A starts this weekend. I know, John, uh, you're a big fan of all things happening in the continent and I'm so intrigued by Andrea Perlo's um, managerial bow uh, this weekend. How do you think he's going to go? I think he'll do well because I think he'll be prepared. Uh, he knows uh, Juventus inside out, having played there for many years. Um, and he has the players. So I, I can see him and the players will respect him. I see a little bit similar to the Zidane uh, at, at Real Madrid. Um, and look, uh, Juventus have won the last nine Serie A titles. So you, you'd think they're going to be still favourites. There will be teams pushing. I think Inter Milan will have a, a great opportunity this season. Um, I think Napoli uh, with Gattuso uh, will still be there uh, pushing. Um, Roma, uh, Lazio, you know, there's quite a few good teams there that will make it half the events this year, but I think Pirlo will still get them over the line. It was a bit of a rebirth, wasn't it, last year for sort of the um, worldwide popularity of, of Syria? Uh, obviously, Ronaldo, then, then Conte as well with all these Premier League signings there, Bridgie. Um, what, what do you fancy from, from Syria this year? Is it... Is, is Perlo going to get Juventus over the line? Yes, he is. I love the shirt. Love Perlo. Love Juve. They've got Ronaldo. I just think they're going to they're going to go again. I, it was interesting to see how close some of the teams came last year, um, but I think this season it's it's only going to go one way. I think the um, I think Juve have got it and they've got it in abundance. And I, I would love just to see Perlo. I mean, he's done everything in his career as a player. He's, he looks immaculate. My wife doesn't like football, but even she says, ooh, who's that guy when he, was, <laughs> um, when he got announced as the manager? So he, he, I think he appeals to absolutely everybody and um, they've definitely got my backing for this season and going forward. Ooh, and not to mention, uh, uh, Dave, uh, you've got Gasparini Atalanta that uh, were amazing last yeah, we, season. That's, that's rude of us to forget to forget yeah. to Atalanta. So, you know, it wouldn't it be a great story for a, a club like Atalanta to, to win a Serie A title? 
Um, I don't know if they will. If they'll be strong close enough. again, John? I think they will. He's still got the majority of the squad. He lost a couple of players, uh, Castagna, uh, that everyone saw mm. on the weekend score for Leicester. Yeah. But um, well, I, I actually think that um, Gasparini will still make them uh, title contenders, if you can say that. Wow, mm. interesting. Okay, I'm going to go and check the ads out. Conte's coming, I think. I think Conte's coming. And you know what? Atalanta making it into the Champions League every year is a, is a huge... Philip in its own right. Um, will uh, Luis Suarez be at Juventus or will he be just sitting in the stands at the Camp Nou uh, pick up a paycheck? He won't be at Juventus. There's talk that that's fallen through. Just read that this morning uh, in the Spanish papers. Uh, I still think uh, he... Look, I would like him to stay at Barcelona. I'll tell you why. Because Luis Suarez is a fighter. Um, he's, he's got that in his nature. So when he's not wanted... I think he'll he'll give that extra bit more to show that he's good enough, and he is still good enough because mm. Mm. Let, let, let's be honest. Last season he had a he had a major injury that he was out for a long period. Very unfair for them to judge him on last season. He's got goals in him. He combines well with Messi and Luis Suarez with a bit between his teeth. Look out because he's going to be no dangerous. pun intended there, John. But I think I've heard he, <laughs> I've heard he's chomping at the bit to get a group with you. Mate. <laughs> To be reconnected with his old munching friends. Is it Chiellini had a chew on? Can you imagine that? What would it be like in the changing room with him and Chiellini? Fantastic. How would they get along? The only way you're going to get along is by Chiellini knocking his teeth out and saying, right now you can train me because you can't bite me. First thing you should do is you should walk in the dressing room and give Suarez a mouth guard and say, this is the only way you're staying in here. I can't believe John put that in. He didn't even uh, you know, you, you know what? And I've seen Suarez train close up. He does not hold back in training. So can you imagine Chiellini kicking him? The the the, <laughs> the reaction that would be there in training. I feel sorry for Pirlo trying to break that one up. <laughs> that would test your managerial skills. <laughs> oh, brilliant! So La Liga's starting in sort of a, a, a stuttered way at the moment, but Real Madrid they're in action against Real Sociedad Monday morning um, Australian time five AM. They get that campaign away. Atletico Madrid feature with as well and oh no they're still off actually it's Villarreal and um, Valencia that come back into action this weekend so uh, the Messi circus still behind the scenes for a little while before we see the the big return to La Liga action coming out gents we're running out of time but I want to thank you both for joining us this weekend we spoke through a heap and heap of stuff and there is so much to look forward to on the weekend in a word John what's your highlight of the weekend coming up oh it has to be Liverpool uh, Chelsea Liverpool that has to be the highlight because uh, we want to see how Chelsea are going to go against uh, the best team in the country. And Bridgie? Oh, Leeds against Fulham. Leeds against Fulham. <laughs> the championship teams back in the Premier League. See how they go. Now, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the Arsenal-West Ham game. The London derby. You've got one team flying high. You've got one team in the absolute oblivion. So it's going to be, can they roll their sleeves up and make it tough for Arsenal? Or are Arsenal just going to have an absolute field day and score lots of goals? I'm looking forward to watching that one. Awesome, awesome. So much to look forward to on Optus Sport as ever, including Countdown to kick off. So we'll see you boys on Saturday night as well, uh, an hour and a half before the game starts. Look forward to that as well. So everyone that's stuck through the distance, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks, boys, for, for joining us as well. And as ever, enjoy your football.